shout in the house this morning. He is so worthy. So worthy. So, 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 so worthy. You guys can grab a seat if you can. Welcome to Eastgate Church. So glad that you're here today and you picked a great day to be in the house of God. I think what God is starting to do, he's going to continue to do today. I tell you, Listen, look at y'all showing up on a bad weather Sunday, looking all good in church. Listen, me to you, awesome. That is awesome. That makes a pastor want to stand up and shout. There's an old joke that says, all it takes to baptize a Christian is about 90 gallons of water. All it takes to keep a Christian out of church is about two drops of rain. You know, they hadn't been to Eastgate though. You know what I'm saying? I praise God, we're show up around here. Thank y'all so much. For, uh, for being here today. Everyone watching online, big welcome. Can we say hello to the online audience today? Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hey, if y'all would, hit that like button and that share button so we can get the message out to as many people as possible. I'm excited today. The message is going out on the Radio Condry Network today. So as we're in here, the message is going all across the radio waves in the state of Georgia to a listening audience of a couple of million people. That's no small thing. So praise God for that for sure. I think a message from Pastor Jeremy is going out today. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, Pastor Jeremy's got a little birthday today, too. So big birth, happy birthday to Pastor Jeremy. Big week for him. Y'all pray for him. He's going to go take his driver's test this week. So it'll be... <laughs> no, we, we love you, man. Thank you uh, for serving on a special day. Glad we could share it with you. So if you got your Bibles, tablets, whatever devices that you got, go ahead and get them out and get them ready. We're going to dive through some scripture today. Um, wrapping up this whole conversation we've been having on emotional health, and we're going to take the spotlight and move it over to emotional health in marriage. Amen. Emotional health in marriage. And I'll say this again, this is not a self-help clinic. <laughs> we are not in Psychology 101 today or anything like that. Uh, I'm going to give you the truth from the Word of God because I believe that's the best place to land on this stuff. Amen? And that's what we're going to do. And I've been praying, and the Lord just laid some stuff on my heart. I do believe this, though, and the Word of God echoes this. Um, if you want to be emotionally healthy, it's impossible until you're first spiritually healthy. Yeah. Uh, everything that happens in life is an outflowing of your relationship with God. It really is. Uh, and, and so the key is to get that right first. And in getting that right, now you've got the best shot at getting everything else correct as it lines up with the Word of God. I want to talk to you today about a, a principle in marriage. It's called this. Because it takes one to be one. It takes one to be one. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, it takes one to be one. Some of you wanted to say it takes one to know one. No, it takes one, <laughs> takes one to be one. takes one to be one. What does that mean? Listen, if you want to be one in marriage, in unity, lining up with the Word of God, you can't do it as an incomplete person. It takes one whole person coming into a marriage with another whole person to actually be one. Most of the problems and the friction that you see in marriage is because people come into this marriage covenant and they're not a whole person. They're not one, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So I'm going to give you some principles from the Word of God today. I love the Word of God because it's always accurate and it's always relevant. It's always relevant. Every issue that you're going to face in life, the solution to it, the plan of attack for it is going to be found in the Word of God. So listen to me. Whether you've been married for 50 years and you think you know it all, which I would caution you, if you get that spirit on you that says, I know enough about this, you're in a dangerous place, Jack. Um, should always be a student and always be willing to learn. Uh, I try to take that posture myself. Uh, there's a lot in the Word. So whether you've been married for 50 years or you're newlyweds, you've only been married a few years, or you're single and one day hoping to be married, which I think pretty much covers everybody in the room today, uh, this is going to be a word that's going to help you, equip you, and prepare you 
because I know this. If any entity is being attacked by the enemy today, it's the family. And here's the secret plan. If he can disrupt the family, he can disrupt the church. See, if he can come into your house and cause friction in your marriage, it throws your whole life out of rhythm, right? And if you're out of rhythm, then you can't be in a position to be used by God the way that he wants to use you. So he's figured out if he can cause divisions in the home, if he can cause issues with the children, if he can cause issues in the marriage, he can disrupt the family and thereby at least slow down what the kingdom of God is trying to accomplish. Now we know from scripture he's fighting a losing battle because Jesus said, I'm going to establish my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You got to get in your mind, listen, we're an unstoppable force as the church. Can't be stopped. Can't be stopped. The Bible says so, but he wants to slow down. But he can absolutely, if you entertain him, wreak havoc in your family and in your marriage and bring destruction. So what you don't want to have happen. So staying close to the word of God is key. The word of God isn't old-fashioned. It's timeless. It's timeless. It's always ready to speak into whatever issue you're facing in life. I hate the pushback that culture is throwing at the church. So, well, the, the Bible's outdated. It's, it's just old-fashioned. It's from another generation. It's from another lifestyle. And a greater lie has never been told. The Word of God is timeless. That doesn't work with anything else. You can't take the laws of thermodynamics and say they're old-fashioned and they don't apply to life today because they're set principles, Correct doesn't matter if they're a thousand years old or five minutes old. It is a set principle. The Word of God is a set principle. So it doesn't matter how long it's been around. Truth is still truth. Truth is still truth. And this truth will bless you. Okay, so as we're going through today, I want you to know my motivation. My motivation is not to bring out a sledgehammer and just bash you and, and say, this is what you're doing wrong in your marriage and you're horrible because of it. I, I think... Uh, marriage, just like most things, um, is, is there's a growing process to it. You know, you're constantly getting to know that other person, and the relationship is constantly growing. And the love is it's amazing to me how it can just hit another level. You look at this person, you're like, I can't love you any more than I do right now. And then God just creates an expansion in your heart, and you see them in a new light, and it just clicks. There's always room for growth, I think, in marriages. Uh, I like Chick-fil-A. Christian chicken's pretty good for the most part. You guys that like Popeye, shame on you. Um, no, I'm just messing with you. Uh, but when they, when they get ready to do renovations to their buildings, they do it a little differently. Uh, I, I drove by Chick-fil-A and I saw this happening to uh, a building. They, they were, yeah, heavy equipment out, ripping everything apart. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And then if you back up a little bit, you see this sign that's out um, in the parking lot. And it looks like this from a distance. Uh, they got it gated. You can't get in. Heavy equipment's doing its thing, ripping stuff apart. And if you zoom in on this... It says, it's kind of blurry here. It's probably going to be cleaner on the screen. It says, closed for renovation. That's not renovating. Like, you're ripping the whole thing down. That's hardcore. Like, somebody saw the spider in there and said, oh, that's it. The whole place has got to come down today. You know, you rebuild the whole thing, you know. I love it. So their, their approach to major renovation in the building is just, hey, you know what? Let's just rip this whole thing down to the foundation and start all over again, you know. And I think that's a good approach to marriage. I think it's a good approach to marriage because the foundation is everything. And a lot of times we come into marriages bringing stuff from the past or previous relationships, you know, or, or maybe you're in the scenario where um, you were married and neither one of you were believers and then one of you gave your hearts to the Lord and now you got this weird dynamic in the home and, or, or maybe uh, both of you are, are saved now and love the Lord but they're still 
issues from the past and old philosophies and old mindsets. How I many you know if you talk to 10 different people about marriage, you're probably going to get 10 different plans about marriage, you know. That's why I want to stick close to the word of God. And I think what we do in an attempt to make things pretty is that we we renovate like one issue at a time inside the structure of our marriage. So if, if we're fighting over money, well, now we've got, we've got to redo this section of the house and renovate this, you know, or this bedroom door isn't going to work anymore. Let's rip this joker out and put in a new bedroom door so that it looks a little bit better. But all we're doing is just treating symptoms. What you want to do is get to the root of the issue. Because it takes one to be one in a marriage. You've got to get to the root of the issue. So maybe a better, a better approach would be, let's rip this whole thing down, everything that we've built, our mindset, our philosophy, our whole approach to marriage up until this point, and let's break out the heavy equipment, knock it straight down to the foundation that everything is built on, and make sure that the foundation is correct. You know, there's a parable in the Bible. Jesus talks about this guy that tried to build his house on sand. And then this other guy who built his house on the solid rock. And when the storms of life hit, the marriage or the house built on the sand, the temporary stuff, crashes in. Boy, if you want to know if there's cracks in the foundation of your marriage, let a storm of life hit you. You'll find out in a hurry. It'll expose a whole lot. So the foundation is key. The foundation is key. You cannot properly build a marriage outside of the Word of God. God created the institution of marriage. If he created it, he probably knows best how to build it and make it thrive. Amen? So, so what I would say is this. If you're here today and you've got friction in your marriage, maybe a better approach is to stop putting so much focus on the issues and back up and say, you know what? What's out of balance here according to the word of God? And we fix the foundation. Does that make sense? Uh, a lot of people would rather not put in the work to make that happen and not put in the work to correct things or, you know, or, or, or try to fix us so that we can bring a better us into the marriage com complete according to the word. And so it's easy for a lot of people nowadays to tap out and say, you know what, deuces, I'm done. I'm done. It's going to be easier for me to move on with life than to fix this mess right here. And I'm here to tell you, listen, it doesn't matter how far gone your marriage may be, at least in your mind, God can restore anything. God can restore anything. Whether it's a small problem or a huge issue, God can restore anything. I'd advise you not to even use the D word in your marriage. Don't even use that word. In fact, going into your marriage, that, that D word has got to be gone, and the D word is divorce. The divorce isn't the answer. It usually creates more problems. Man, it creates more problems. Who gets what? Who gets the kids? Who's this, that, and the other? It just complicates things. Now, I do, I do understand there are some... Um, scripture that gives permission for divorce um, with a couple of scenarios. We're about to talk about that, but this is what I know. God's heart is always for your marriage to thrive. Yeah. Always. Now, let's, let's dive into this, uh, because it's, when, you, when you start the process of divorce, and, and here's what's crazy, is we, are, we start that process early on when we're dating, because it's easy to break up with somebody and move on, right? We learn throwaway relationships as teenagers. So when we get into something serious like an engagement or marriage, well, here's the pattern. When it gets hard, you tap out, you move on to something else, right? Uh, this is why I encourage you, if you're a parent, listen, be very cautious about dating through the teenage years. Teach your kids maybe to, to slow down on that. I'm telling you how to raise your kids. Raise your kids however you want to. But I think there's a level of emotional maturity that needs to be there and definitely a level of spiritual maturity that needs to be there. Um, and uh, I think it's a good goal to have our children moving into marriage with as much of their heart intact as possible. 
because it takes one to be one. And so I, I would say not be overbearing, but maybe a word of caution. Let's exercise some wisdom. Man, why, why is a six-year-old dating a, or a, six, a sixth grader dating a sixth grader? You know? Something to think about. Are they going to get married? No? Well, you are looking at me like I just threw a, uh, a wrench in the wheels right now. You know, I'm just saying. I mean, does he have a job? You know what I mean? Does he have a house? Does he know what he wants to do for the rest of his life? But his eyes are so cute. Yeah, okay. Let him learn how to take regular showers, and then maybe he might be husband material is all I'm saying. It's all I'm saying. Uh, maybe maybe uh, don't set our kids up for failure. Let's set them up for success with relationships, you know. I say that because the divorce rate in first-time marriages right now sits around 42%. Um, and it's funny, if you Google this 20 times, you'll find different numbers, but this is about average, I think. Most of the, the places I looked showed these numbers. Second marriage, 60%. And the third marriage, the divorce rate is 73%. Because it gets easier to throw it away once you start tapping out. It's crazy. Uh, newsflash, if you're on the third marriage, going into the third marriage or going into the fourth marriage... By that, by that time, can I just give you some truth? The problem isn't them, more than likely. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm a friend. Uh, maybe it's time to look at you, no doubt. Um, so what does the Bible say about divorce? We're just going to take it off the table. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about this because this is such a big issue with marriages. Um, two reasons biblically that you have for divorce, and the first one uh, is mentioned in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. So some Pharisees came and tried to trap him. Him is Jesus. They tried to trap him with this question. Bad strategy, by the way, trying to get one up on Jesus. So should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answers, haven't you read the scriptures? I love that. He's like, what, is, what does the Bible say? Why are you asking me? What is it? Haven't you read the scriptures? Um, Jesus replied, they recorded it from the beginning. Now, this might be, I know... And here it's probably a safe place, but this statement in culture today becomes a little bit controversial because of agendas that are trying to be pushed. But it says that God made them male and female. I don't see anything else in that sentence. Do you? No other pronouns, no other... what He, he made them male and female. And then he said, this explains why... A, and look at this. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one okay so listen marriage is instituted by god for one man and one woman to be married to each other okay um not two men not two women not someone identifying as such your birth, gender, being the identity, is the correct form of marriage. Okay? Now, you say something like that, and everybody's like, well, you're just transphobe. You're just homophobe. You're just, no, I'm not. I love everybody, just the way Jesus loved everybody. But this is what I know. This stuff is coming from the mouth of Jesus, so it changes things for me. And while I love people and I want them to be happy, I also want them to be accurate with the Word of God also. And this is what Jesus said. My heart is to please Jesus. My heart is to please Jesus. So if Jesus said this is the definition, if I'm wanting to please my Savior, then I have to line up with His definition of it and not what's on the news. You understand? Um, peer pressure didn't work on me in high school. And it's sure not going to work on me as an adult. It's the same junk. They're just trying to pressure you into a bad scenario. Now, that doesn't mean that I hate anyone. It means that I love my Savior and I want to please Him. And nothing but love for any community. Nothing but love for any individual, regardless of their political affiliation. I love them and I want to see them go to heaven. But I'm not going to stand at odds with the word of God just because it makes a vast minority of people upset. 
You realize we're having all these conversations we're having in this country today because of less than 1% of the population. What would happen if the church got it together and got as loud as these minority groups? You know what I'm saying? So, so the Bible is very clear on that, and that's, that's for free. So he says, uh, a man leaves his father and his mother, joined to his wife, and the two are united as one, since they're no longer two, but one that no one split apart what God has joined together. And then they ask this question, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus drops a bomb. He says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it's not what God had originally intended. So there's permission given in this scenario. Uh, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So unfaithfulness becomes the first permissible reason for divorce. They cheat on you, you cheat on, me, on them. Um, then there's the issue there that biblically, okay, gives you the opportunity to separate because of that unfaithfulness. Listen, but that's not God's heart. Okay, when people get divorced, uh, usually it's because one or both of them, their heart has become hardened. It's become hardened to the Lord. It's become hardened to that other person. So my encouragement to you is, listen, if there's unforgiveness, if there's hurt, if there's bitterness there, if there's trouble in your relationship with God or trouble with that other person, don't let your heart become hard. Get close to God. Let him heal and restore and keep that thing fresh and new. Hard hearts destroy marriages. The, the other reason is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Y'all with me? Yeah. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 12. This is another reason given. So, uh... To the rest, I say this. If a brother has a wife who is not a believer, in, or if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer but he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. The question sometimes comes up, hey, I'm married, I got saved, my spouse doesn't want anything to do with God, are we unequally yoked, do I need to divorce them? The answer is no. You stay in the marriage, and you let your lifestyle witness to them in an attempt to win them over to the Lord, okay? Um, unequally yoked, listen to me, that pertains to before the marriage. Once you're married, listen, you need to see it through. You need to see it through. I'll say it one more time. You need to see it through. The unequally yoked thing is before marriage. Now, if you're a believer... I can just tell you scripturally, it is incredibly unwise to date a non-believer. Well, I just want to reach out to... No, dating someone is not the form of evangelism that, you know, if, if, you, want, if you want to lure someone in through a relationship, become a hooker or something like that, um, or a gigolo, um, if, if you're wanting to do that, um, but, but that's not what... That's not the pattern that, you, that you're encouraged to follow in scripture. All right, listen, if they're lukewarm now, odds are nothing's going to change later. A lot of times people become chameleons and present to you what you want to see so that they can get in on that relationship. But sooner or later, the real them is going to come out. It's going to come out. Listen, if they're not in church now, don't date them. If they're not serious about God now, don't date them. All right, you want a husband or a wife that is solid in their relationship with Jesus. Why? Because it takes one to be one. And you cannot have a biblically correct marriage unless you're both solid. So, so, so here becomes the concession for the second reason for divorce. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, it says, But if the unbeliever leaves, in other words, if um, you're a believer and they're not, and they want to leave, then let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. It's their decision, their choice. So unfaithfulness, and then the second reason scripturally becomes abandonment. If they walk out on you, then you have permission at that point scripturally to turn it loose. Does that make sense? 
But again, I'm not saying that that's God's will for any of it. Uh, I'd say keep working, keep working, and get back to the foundation. I've seen God restore things that, that I thought were long, long gone. Uh, I could call some of y'all up to the stage right now and just give you the mic and say, tell the testimony of how God restored your marriage. Amen. And I'd let y'all just talk. And when you're done, we'd all be crying. And we'd all be praising God. And God would do some awesome stuff. And it's like God can heal and restore. God can heal and restore. And if your marriage is great, God can strengthen too. You know, just because you're married doesn't mean that you have to have problems. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you have to fight about it. I hate those stereotypes. Man, you can have peace in your marriage, and you can have a strong, healthy, vibrant marriage that people get jealous of. You know what I mean? Like that kind of marriage that embarrasses the mess out of your kids because y'all are all lovey-dovey in the living room. Like, oh my God, get a room, you know? Yeah, that's, that's what you want right there. If you're embarrassing your teenagers, now that's a good marriage, I've said for the most part. Um, but there are some indicators that you can look at that will let you know where you're at on uh, the health of your marriage. And they can act as green lights or they can act as red flags to let you know if things aren't clicking with these areas, we probably need to hit pause and back up and either do some maintenance or just do some correction so that we keep heading in the right direction in our marriage. So I have seen this in healthy marriages. Uh, the people that are in those healthy marriages, they play together. Amen. They play together. Have some fun. Have some fun. Too many times, especially when the kids come along, just real talk, okay? When the kids come along, um, you get busy with activities and commitments and getting kids to this, to that, the other, and um, it, everything becomes about the child, and, 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 it, and it should to some extent. Uh, kids are important. You should take care of them if you, if you have them. Uh, make sure they're fed and all that stuff. I, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is uh, you need to have time for you. Okay? You need to have time for you. I had a conversation with a couple, this was a couple of years ago, and uh, we were like, hey, let's, let's go out and let's do this. And they were like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. This is the first time we've been out together as a couple without the kids in like four years. That's a bad pattern. It's a bad pattern. Because your kids are going to grow up eventually. And they're going to move out. Of, they're going to move out of the house. That's the goal, right? Uh, the parents, I'll make sure y'all are with me. That's the goal, right? Eventually, they're going to move out on their own and start their own lives, and it's going to be great and, and all of that. And you get to have your naked room in the house then and get all, all that stuff. Don't have to worry about the kids running around and um, worry about crazy issues with bathrooms and just it's going to be the way that you left it, you know. And, uh, uh, these, but, but you want them to go. When they go, when they move on, and launch into their own lives, what you don't want is to turn around and look at a total stranger. So you've got to make sure that you're maintaining that relationship. So date nights, date nights, I'm telling you, date nights, date nights, date nights, fun nights. Pastor, I'm broke. Parks are free. You know what I mean? Uh, go out to the park and just sit at the picnic table and look at each other and make goo-goo eyes at each other, whatever. Listen, you can have fun on a budget, you can have fun broke. You can go on walks together. You can drink coffee on the porch and talk together. You know, you can have fun. The important thing is spending time. Spending time. Go see movies. Watch movies at home. I just, there for a little while, I thought if you're going to be married, that means that a couple of nights a week, you're sitting on the, on the couch watching TV shows about murder with a person that you love. You know, just like, it's just, it's like is everybody doing this? Am I the only one not, not in on this stuff? Um, so so you got to spend time with them. Listen, if, if you don't play together, you're going to have trouble. If you're not playing together, listen, there's a reason why. If you're not spending time together, there's a reason why. So the question becomes, what is that reason? Might need to give it some attention. Second thing is, listen, marriages that make it. So they, they play together. The second thing they do is they pray together. Amen. They pray together. It is virtually impossible for you and your spouse to be in unity the way that God desires for you to be in unity. Now listen, you can just smooth it on 
and, and, and go through life and just settle with what you have. But if you want to enter a level of just powerful unity in your marriage with your spouse, pray together. Pray together. Be in agreement in prayer on things. Pick up the phone. How's your day going? Oh, it's going good. Hey, let me just pray with you. Pray a quick blessing over you for the rest of the day. Whew, man, goes a long way. Things going on with your kids, instead of talking about the problems that your kids are fighting through, coming together in prayer with your spouse over your children makes all the difference in the world. Are you praying together? You know, issues of discipline. There's, there's a... Issues of discipline and issues with the children become huge sources of friction in the marriage sometimes because not, mom and dad, husband and wife, are not always on the same page with how to move forward with whatever the issue is. Prayer fixes that. Prayer fixes that. So when there's issues in our home that we need to deal with, my wife and I will pray and we'll talk about it. And 99 times out of 100, we're on the same page. We are on the same page for the most part. There's stuff with our kids. Listen, we, we want our kids to thrive, and we know that we don't have the spiritual covering over them that we should have over them if we're not praying for them. You understand? Instead of fighting over the money, come together and pray together. Pray together. So play together and pray together. All right. And the third thing that you look at is this, uh, lay together. So you pray together, and you play together, and you lay together. Everybody say, Pastor Josh, you can talk about anything you want to. Thanks. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So the third thing you want to look at is... Uh, Laying together. Are you together intimately as a married couple? Uh, it's funny, as, as a pastor, you spend so much time counseling people that are not married to stay pure and not get to that. You know what I mean? Because that's it. I'm going to get married, and it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. You know? Like, okay, let's slow that down. All right? That's, that's only part of a marriage. Uh, and then they get married, and it's just like you, you couldn't pay them to be together. I'm just not interested in that. I just, I just, I, I just, listen, if that's the deal, you need to fix it. You need to fix it. Listen, I will say this. God made men and women the way that he did. He didn't make a mistake with it. And he's playing for all of that stuff working together as a dadgum good plan. Yep. Let every man in this house say amen. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. So, um, healthy couples lay together. Now, if that's not, then you have to ask why it's not happening. Okay? Um, is it because of offense? Is it because of complacency? Is it because we've fallen in love with staring at a screen before we go to sleep instead of looking in the eyes of our husband or our wife. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so in order for that marriage to be the way that God wants it to be, you've got to be actively intimate with one another. Uh, if you don't, listen, you're just glorified roommates. You're just glorified roommates. We... We are here in this house taking care of these kids and paying these bills. And occasionally we'll watch a TV show together. But we have a lot of headaches. We're really stressed out. We got a lot going on. And we just, at, you know what I mean? One in every crowd. One in every crowd. Now... Let me read to you really quick what the Word of God says regarding this. So, like I said, the Word of God speaks to every situation. Um, so, 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 3, says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, this is key here. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, 
In the same way, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come back together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Lack of intimacy. And in some of y'all men were like, I knew I loved this church for some reason. I knew, I, knew, I knew this pastor was my pastor. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> feel you, man. Uh, <laughs> so lack of intimacy in the marriage, though, opens the door for the devil to come in and wreak havoc. Um, so intimacy comes in different levels, not just the physical act itself, but uh, romance is just as important, I think, Amen. as the other, how you court each other and how you um, are always complimenting each other, speaking to each other, and uh, just telling you, Kelly will walk out of the room, and I just drop the lines on her. I'm like, dang, hate to see you leave, but love to watch you go, girl. You know, I'm just like, just saying just saying, but, but keeping it fun and, and having those real romantic moments matters for emotional fulfillment. Listen, your spouse is the only legitimate source of romance in your life. Okay, and vice versa. Vice versa, it should be your mission to make sure that they are fulfilled emotionally and physically. When that does not happen, women begin to look for emotional fulfillment in other places. And eventually friendships become a little bit more. Well, I'm just talking to him. He's just a friend. Uh-huh. Okay. Now you're having lunch. Well, it's just an innocent little lunch. And now you're down at the Motel 6 where they leave the light on for you. Okay. <laughs> Same thing with guys. Most of the men who are addicted to or struggling with addictions to porn, um, it flows out of a lack of physical availability by the wife. So I'm not getting it where I'm supposed to be getting it, so I'm going to find alternative means. And that does not mean that it makes it right. Listen, it doesn't give you an excuse, all right? That is just the same as cheating on your spouse, all right? Cut that junk off and get back with your wife and get that stuff straight like it's supposed to be, you know? But, uh, but it opens up the doors, this lack of intimacy. And so you've got to make sure that that's happening. Got to make sure that it's happening. And whatever it takes, it's just, it's just gotten boring. Okay, buy a disco ball. Put it, put it up in the bedroom, put a disco ball up in there. Get a trampoline, get a trapeze bar, whatever it takes, man. Listen, I just, whatever it takes, put in a light show in there so when y'all walk in the room, the lights go off and the theme music plays. Bow! All right, here we go. Whatever it takes, man. Listen. God designed that to happen in the confines of marriage. And when it's happening in the marriage, it's good. Amen? Amen. It's good. Outside of marriage, it's off limits. It's off limits. Off limits. Listen. Nah. All right. We got to get out of here today. I spent all day talking about this stuff. So, so you got to make sure. So you look at, our, all right, are we, do we play together? Are we praying together? Are we laying together? Um, if you are, that's awesome. And I believe that's in the wheelhouse of a healthy marriage. But listen, if, if you got a red flag on any of these things, say, you know what, probably not like we could be. Today's a great day for change. Today's a great day for change. Today's a great day to go home, hang out with each other. And listen, I command every married couple in the name of Jesus, go home and have sex tonight. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Get on out there. Go on. Make sure you stretch so you're not pulling a hamstring or anything like that. Y'all just go. Y'all just go. Hey, I'm going to try to get y'all to get these kids and eat kids sooner or later. So, I'm just saying. So, so go home and, and get it on. Go home and get it on. Everybody say, get it on. So, healthy marriages, get it on. If you're married, all right? And if you're not, it's off limits. It's off limits. So, so you're, you're hanging out, playing together, you're praying together, you're laying together. I think the other 
major issue and a thing we could talk about today is this in Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 21, this is just a great place to go when you're looking for a, a word picture of what a marriage should look like. Verse 21 starts out like this. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love that this conversation on marriage, Paul starts out with, Submit to one another. When we hear that word, submit... A lot of times we get the wrong mental picture. We think subjugation. That's not submission. Submission means I choose to do this. I am choosing to put myself under your spiritual covering. I am choosing to prefer you in this moment. I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to serve you. And... It's my choice. I choose to do it. He's saying choose to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he says, wives, here's that word again, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now that's key, to your husband, not the guy down the street that has a lot of wisdom. And I want you to hear me, all right? Not to your pastor, to your husband, Okay. As a pastor, I'm the spiritual authority in this church. The pastor down the road in the other church, he is a spiritual authority in that church. Okay? The husband, the man, is the spiritual authority in the home. If it ever, with, with issues, comes down to pastor or your husband, you go with your husband. He's your spiritual covering. Unless your husband is retarded, and is doing something that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Then you go with the Word of God, okay? Because your pastor is going to give you the Word of God. Guarantee you. So, listen, let the men be the men in the home. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Wow. Some people wonder why women have a hard time submitting to men in the marriage, and most of the time it's because they have a hard time actually surrendering everything to the Lord. Love you, ladies, but it's the truth. If you're submitted to Christ, you're submitted to Christ's plan. So what, what Paul is doing here now is he's giving us structure. Anything that God creates is going to have structure in it. It's going to flow correctly. God's not a God of disorder or chaos. He's a God of order. Now, he starts to add structure here. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So the man is the spiritual authority in the home. But we're both called to submit to one another. Amen. You understand? Then, then he, Paul begins to, to break this down in a real practical way so that people understand this. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He says, you want to know how you're supposed to love your wife? You love like Jesus loved. Not like you feel like loving when you come in from a hard day of work. You love like Jesus loved. I don't think Jesus wanted to crawl up on that cross and die for us. He did, but it wasn't fun. Amen? Sometimes you don't physically feel like doing things. Listen, love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. My, my wife has an addiction. And she has a problem. Y'all be, y'all, first of all, she cheats at games and makes up rules that don't exist. All right. So, second, so you have to, you have to watch out, <laughs> to watch out for that. But, but, um, but she has this addiction to cookie dough. So she'll say, "Please go buy me a pack of cookies." I know what that means. I'm gonna go buy cookies. We're gonna bake roughly less than half of them. The other half is gonna be consumed. So I fear for her health. So y'all, anybody else got the cookie dough addiction? Y'all understand? Yeah, the chocolate chip cookie dough. So yeah, a lot of hands going up. Praying for you. So the other, the other day, man, I was just flat wiped out, and she had a sweet tooth. She's like, I really want some cookies. I really hate that for you. One of us should go get some cookies. One of us should go get some cookies. You know what I mean? I got no whiskey. So I was like, all right. I got up, got dressed, got in the car, went down to the store, and I got the cookies. And then I got this other thing that's like safe-to-eat cookie dough mix. And I was like, I got this for you. But I didn't feel like doing it. 
but I preferred her over myself and went and did it because I love her. I love her and I want her to be happy even if I don't feel like getting out getting cookies. <laughs> but it's fine. So you love her. When you love your wife and your wife understands that you love her in the same way Christ loves the church, man, things change. Things change. So skipping over to uh, verse 28, it says, In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, we read this and we think, hey, we're dealing with marriages today. When Paul was writing this completely different scenario, this is groundbreaking news for the world when Paul's writing this because in that day, women had no value at all. In fact, if you had a pet, that pet had more value than your wife. Just true. Women had no identity. Their identity was found in the person that they were married to. For Paul to be writing this and saying, okay, listen, now you're submitting to one another. This is the correct way for marriage to operate. Submit to, she's my possession. You want me to submit to you something that I, revolutionary, revolutionary. This did not, this value system for women and this value system for the marriage did not exist in the world, period, until Jesus hit the scene and started teaching the way God intended for it to be. Women's rights is nothing new. Listen, Jesus was preaching it over 2,000 years ago. Okay, it's tied to the gospel. Your value is your value because you are a child of the most high God. End of story. And so he's saying, listen, you treat this person right. You Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. What is he saying? This is what he's saying. She is equal with you. The husband and the wife, in the eyes of God, listen, we are equal in value. But because God is a God of order and structure, he knows that there has to be an authority chain in the home for those moments where the two don't see eye to eye. So he says, here's the check and balance in the home. The man is a spiritual authority, and the woman will submit underneath his covering. As y'all serve one, the competition becomes who can serve each other the most. And I found that when I treat my wife with respect, and I love her, and I value her, and she knows it. When we're talking about something, and I make a call that's not her first choice, she doesn't push back as much. Why? Because I've proven myself to be trustworthy, and she knows I have a heart for God. And she knows if I'm wrong, God's going to tell me, and I'll change, and I'll go back, and I'll say, Honey, you're right. You know, it'll be great. It'll be great. Somebody joked one time, they said, uh, Marriage is when you have one person that's predetermined they're always going to be right, and the other person is the husband. <laughs> so there's, there's give and take for, for Kelly and I on this. So are you playing together and hanging out? Are you praying together? Are you laying together? And are you serving and submitting to one another? Are you serving and submitting to one another? See, guys don't walk into the house and beat their chest and say, I'm the man of this house. No, you are male in the home, but are you acting as a spiritual authority? It's not about subjugation. It's about choosing to submit to one another. Okay? And you do that to your wife the same way that she does that to you. If you're doing that correctly, you'll have peace in the home for sure. Um, it takes one to be one. It takes one to be one. So, if you look at these things that we're talking about and you see a red flag on them and it's a problem in the home, a problem in the marriage, you will always be able to trace it back to something spiritual every time. It takes one to be one. Kelly, can you come up here and help me for just a second? Takes one to be one. So what happens is this. You look good today, by the way. You stand right here. So you got two coming together. A lot of times what marriage looks like is this. So you got the two coming together. Well, what's happened is 
she's come into the relationship with baggage from previous relationships. And even though I didn't hurt her, she's ready for me to hurt her like all the people that she's dated in the past has hurt her. So there's a division and a barrier from the get-go in the marriage. Or my expectation on her is unrealistic because I've come into the marriage with a wrong philosophy and mindset. So I've come in with a barrier. And it's never going to work. You have to make sure that the foundation is right. Because in order to be one, you have to be one in the marriage. So what happens, because the foundation gets off when we come in with issues. Now, let's say she and I have a fight. We hurt each other's feelings. And in anger, we say stuff that maybe we didn't mean the way that it came across. But we don't resolve it. We just get moving on. Or we say, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Okay, let's go watch a murder show on TV. <laughs> but we don't resolve the issue, and the hurt is still there. So that the next time something comes up, we're still dealing with this. So we're dealing with this and the issue that we're dealing with that day. You had an argument with your spouse, and it was about burnt toast, and before you knew it, you were talking about something that happened 10 years ago. This is just an overflow. I, you, if you really loved me, you would have made sure the toast wasn't burnt. Just like if you'd have loved me, you'd have made sure, blah, 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 this. Just 5, 10, 15 years ago, this stuff right here needs to be resolved. Have the kids, got disagreements on what to do with the children, or maybe the husband makes a call that the wife doesn't deal with, or vice versa. And over time, enough things go unresolved. You don't even have a marriage anymore. You've got a living arrangement. You're just paying bills and waiting for the kids to leave the house. And then what are you going to have? God doesn't intend for any of this stuff, listen, to destroy or divide our marriages. He wants it to be resolved. He's given us a plan to resolve all of it that takes one to be one. And when there's issues between us, we're not going to hang out together and play together as much. When there's issues between us, we're not going to pray together as much or at all. When there's issues between us, we're definitely not going to be intimate. When there's issues, we're not going to submit to one another. Like God, man, most of the friction in your home right now because of submission and service is because of selfishness and self-preservation because there's stuff that's not resolved and it's causing a wedge in the marriage. Whether it's, happen Look, it's happening now, we need to deal with this today. And I'm giving you some preventative tools too so that this never has to happen in your marriage I think what God wants us to do is to get rid of all of this and things happen but we can forgive right things happen and we can work it out and talk it out and make sure that we're on the same page things happen and regardless of what has happened in our past we don't have to bring that into our marriage we can submit it to the Lord and let him make us whole as individuals so that we can be one in our marriage. We just get rid of all of it. So that there's nothing between the two of us. Now, we've got a marriage that looks like a biblical marriage because it takes one to be one. Question for you. Are you one? Are you one? Bow your heads, close your eyes real fast. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm going to do two things this morning. First question is this. Are you here today 
you answer that question, are you one? Is there hurt? Is there unresolved issues in your heart, in your life that you need to deal with right now? Because it's affecting the marriage. It's affecting you and your relationship with God. If that's you and I count to three, I just want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the place, band included, no one looking around. It's between you and me. Pastor Josh, I need to get God in here to just rip some stuff down in me and build me up from the foundation again so that I can be one. There's some stuff I need to deal with today. If that's you, on the count of three, lift your eyes up and look at me. Let's go one, two, three, lift them up and look at me. The eyes going up all in this place. You're in the right place today. You're in the right place today. Tell you what, let's, let's, let's do this this way. Let's let everyone stand up. <clears throat> and if you're here today, <clears throat> your spouse is here with you, take them by the hand. And if you're here today, your spouse isn't with you, but you're married, listen, don't feel awkward. What we're about to do is just pray. We're about to pray for marriages. Okay, we're about to pray for marriages. If you're single in the house, listen, you can pray for your spouse to be. Amen? Pray for them. If that's even God's plan, nobody really talks about that anymore today. You know, it's just like a societal thing. Well, you've got to get married. Says who? Says who? All you've got to do is have a relationship with God and submit to his plan. So let's do this. Let's pray over our marriages. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I lift all of these people up to you. For those that are married right now, for those that are single and maybe looking to be married in the future. Father, we just, first of all, submit ourselves to you completely. It takes one to be one. So, Lord, right now we submit ourselves to you. Lord, if there are things in our lives and in our hearts that need to be healed, Father, I pray that you heal them in your presence and start that process now. Lord, we submit to you, first of all. We don't want to carry anything into the, our relationships that, 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 that is less than what you desire for us to be and what you desire for us to experience, God. We don't want to come in looking like Swiss cheese, Father. We want to be one with you. So, Father, heal and restore. Father, if, there's, if there have been hurts, created in these marriages. Lord, I pray that those things are healed and resolved in your presence. But right now, Lord, I just lift these marriages up to you. And, and, and if you would out there, let's just begin to pray for your spouse, right? Begin to intercede for your spouse right now or your future spouse. Let's just intercede for them right now. Lord, I just lift these marriages up to you, Lord, and I pray that they are the perfect picture of what your heart intended when you created this institution of marriage. Father, let us be couples that, that play together, that hang out, that make time for one another so that we close that door on the enemy. So there's no room for division in our marriage. Lord, let us be couples that pray together. Lord, that we make you a priority in our home. That we just don't become complacent in our daily routine. Father, do we just let, let television or let a tablet take us into to sleep lord I, I just pray that we make time at the beginning and the end of the day lord to pray together as couples father lord that we're intimate with one another the way you intended father lord i pray if there's an issue with that with any couple in here lord let them not be discouraged lord i pray in the name of jesus father that you do what you do best and reignite that passion. If hurt needs to be dealt with and that's a wedge causing an issue there, Lord, let it be dealt with, Father. If there's issues from the past that are causing issues there, Father, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that those things are resolved, they're submitted to you and that you bring restoration, Father. That we choose today to submit to one another out of love and reverence for you. Really how we respond to each other has nothing to do with what the other person does. It has everything to do with our reverence for you. So Lord, we choose to do what you've asked us to do in our marriage. Lord, we put our spouse first. 
We put them first. Show us how we can serve them. Show us, Father, how we can show your love to them. And by doing that, something beautiful happens. When we are serving each other the way you called us to, our marriage then begins to paint a beautiful picture of the relationship between you and your church. And it becomes a powerful tool to point others towards you. God, let our marriages, let our marriages shine as a light in the darkness in the world around us. Let people come to us and ask us why it is the way that it is so that we can point people to you. God, we thank you for healthy and strong marriages in this church. For men that step into their role as a spiritual authority in their home and for wives that support them and encourage them and and are there for them to help usher them into that role instead of tearing them down and belittling them and making fun of them. Father, for men to speak life over their wives instead of making fun of them and tearing them down or making them the butt of their jokes. Let them speak love and encouragement and strength and value over them because how we treat our wives reflects how we see ourselves. God, we thank you for strong marriages. Father, we thank you for wisdom in our marriages. Lord, we thank you for marriages that are submitted to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's give God a big shout of praise in the place today.